do I fall in love too easily? <laughs> do I just fall for like her cute little smile and like that little moment of vulnerability? And I'm like, holy, I, I'm falling for Kells. I'm falling in love with this girl. <laughs> I think, I think this is it, Joshua. I think this is the one. I think this is it. I got to find this actress. Welcome to Two Guys in a Wedding, a podcast where we watch good movies and bad movies alike, all about weddings, to extract what lessons we can to become the absolute perfect wedding guests that have ever graced this planet. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm Joshua. So yesterday I texted Chris as per usual, uh, just at, confirming with him what movie that we're watching. We have a big spreadsheet. Like, we have a huge spreadsheet full of movies. We have a, it's basically like an old ledger, dusty. It's very magnificent looking. And I opened it up and went through the pages and I was like, okay, Wedding Crashers. We're watching Wedding Crashers today. And so I just texted Chris and he's like, you know what, Joshua? I'm calling in a fucking audible here. And I wasn't ready for it. And I wasn't ready for this movie either. We have seen in episode one, The Wedding Planner. But have we ever seen The Christmas Wedding Planner? I think not. Wedding Planner episode one. Episode blah, 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 was A Christmas <laughs> Prince. Right, the royal wedding, which is mm-hmm. a Christmas movie. Let's combine them for this episode. Christmas wedding planner, which sounds made up. It sounds like I made a mistake from saying that title, but it is Christmas wedding planner <laughs> because right now it's the season, Joshua. This is December when this is Tis coming the out. Season even, as some people say, Tis yeah. the season. It's my favorite season. I absolutely adore Christmas. I think it's my favorite holiday. I adore Christmas. That's the first thing I say about you when I introduce you to other people. Like, this is Chris. Uh, he loves Christmas. He loves Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I have to take off my sweater real quick and my Santa cap and shake their hand. <laughs> and my hand is covered in is Christmas the middle cookies. Of July. <laughs> it's the middle of July. <laughs> and Did you say your head is covered in Christmas cookies? My hands have crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wear a crumb crown. Uh, it's a bit eccentric, but I think I pull it off. And uh, of course, when I open my mouth, milk pours out. <laughs> I think that the things that people dislike about Christmas, I also enjoy. I do like that stores play Christmas music. And I like it for a very specific reason, because it makes everything you do in a store very cinematic automatically. Yes, we're all in a Christmas romance movie instantly. And I, I love that they're forced to, too. They can't, <laughs> they, they, no matter what they want, they have to play it. They have to play it, no matter what. I, it's great. And I love it because I'll go, if you know, if, if it's like 1 a.m. and you go to the grocery store because you, you forgot some dumb shit and you're in there and you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're like looking in the frozen food section and there's just like, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus playing in the background. And then you get the thing that you want, and then you turn around, and then you bump into a very attractive person, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, excuse like, me. oh no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I didn't expect to run into anybody at this grocery store at 1 a.m. <laughs> I go, huh, I guess I'm not the only one late night shopping, huh? And we take we share a beat where we look at each other, and then everyone in the grocery store looks over into the aisle, and they look at us, and they go, oh. <laughs> And then you both come up to the counter at the same time, and then the person taking your order is like, "Hey, are you guys together?" And I'm like, "No, no, we're not. To- we're we're not together." The well, person <laughs> taking our order at the grocery store. <laughs> can I help you? Can I take? Can I get your order? Get your- we're at the table at at the frozen food aisle. There's a little table. They come and take it's your order, up. and the waiter sets down a candelabra on the table, and he's like, "Oh, I'll start you guys off with some wine." And I'm like, "Oh, no, no, no. This is." This is a professional meeting, actually. This, is, this isn't a date. This isn't this a date. Isn't a we date. just accidentally bumped into each other at the frozen food uh, section here, where we are. And you go, okay. And then the waiter's like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll start driving some wine, which you are going to pay for. And then he quickly walks away. <laughs> In this grocery store. 
I love that aspect of Christmas. It's maybe one of my favorite parts. So it made sense. Every time it happens. Every time it happens. It made sense that we would do (laughs) another Christmas wedding movie, which apparently there are a ton of, uh, which I'm very happy about. It really fills out December. (laughs) We're always uh, scrounging for material here. Always. (laughs) We're at the bottom of the barrel already. This one, though, at least was entertaining. It had a lot of stuff going on. It didn't waste my time. It was like a nice, tight hour 26, which is good. I like to start off with how long the movie is. (laughs) Also, we need to mention this movie is Canadian. So mm-hmm. that always isn't that funny how that always just changes your entire perspective of a movie or a show. Like, oh, it's Canadian. Okay, yeah, makes a lot of sense. It's Canadian, and also I don't think I recognized outside of two actors. I didn't recognize anybody else in this, and I didn't really recognize the two. One of the people I didn't recognize as an actor, and the other pe- person I only recognized as a character that I had known before. <laughs> I assume they're both Canadian, I guess. And guess what? They're the best two actors, quote unquote, actors in this movie. Yeah, well, we'll get to, we'll get to that. So yeah. why don't we get into this? This is a about a wedding planner who is planning a wedding that's going to take place on Christmas Eve, which I have to say right away, that's a terrible idea. And whoever <laughs> planned this wedding is a piece of shit. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because this is her first wedding ever. She is starting her first her wedding planning business and this is her inaugural wedding mm-hmm. that she is planning and it's not her fault but i have to say the bride and the groom planning it on christmas eve that's a cruel thing to do that's a cruel thing to do the people because now you're making them choose between family and your stupid wedding i mean presumably they didn't get into it maybe they're both from the same hometown so like people come to their hometown during christmas anyway so you know to their credit, not that this, they really pay this off later, they do say that it's an intimate c- ceremony, that only immediate family is going to be there. And so who do you spend uh, Christmas with? It's with your immediate family. So that makes sense. It opens up with her explaining this is her first wedding. <laughs> our main character, Kelsey, uh, who is our wedding planner, Kelsey. who seems like what? She's 21 years old. <laughs> it seems like. 20 something. Well, she could be like 27 or something like that. In real life, she's like 26, the actress. But 27, she, 18, you know, who knows? Who knows? Who, whatever. In that, in that range, she's young, uh, inexperienced in the ways of planning weddings. And uh, she says that I'm in the business of love, which is a very similar opening speech to the wedding planner. She gives like mm-hmm. that little uh, voiceover. Although her narration really is her texting somebody. So yes. most of her like narrative exposition and stuff is just she's just texting a person that we don't find out who that is till later. Also, this is literally her first job. I don't know why she's very presumptuous about how what her interpretation of this quote unquote business is going to be for her. Anyway, it's just it's something a little. Look, out. she dreams big. I like it. I like I like Kelsey. Uh, she dreams big. She's trying her hardest. Uh, we open up with her at a coffee shop. She runs into a stranger, proving what just, she's just a mess, even though she's like immaculately put together to the point where she even has like a little bow around her neck, like a little choker bow. And her makeup is exactly perfect and her hair is perfect. We're supposed to be like, oh, what a mess. She doesn't have herself together. She's beautiful and she bumps into a guy. Oh, man. <laughs> Look at me. Uh, the guy is obviously has a dark Banana Republic uh, jacket on with the collar popped up. Uh Dark button-up shirt, very well put together, light beard. Uh, he was in a beard. It's five o'clock shadow, mm-hmm. immaculate looking. Um, he's been the, uh, he's been tested. He's been market tested. They're like, <laughs> how do we get the a guy to be the most attractive to the most people? And it's him. You know, they, that's they, right. That's what they've come out with. They're like, he's, he's an totally older gentleman. He's bump up against worthy. 
You know what I'm trying to get. You know what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. We're getting that here. <laughs> I also think that the. <laughs> I also think that this is the fastest meet cute I've ever seen in a movie. Within like two and a half minutes, there's a meet cute. Super quick. The first character is the is the protagonist, and then the second character that we meet just immediately is the other romantic protagonist. Instantly. Instantly, and he's a bit of an anti-hero. We find out he's a bit of an anti-hero, Josh. He's, <laughs> he's got a dark play. streak to him. He's got yeah. a dark streak. He doesn't play by these rules that conventional society rules forced upon. Roguish, people. if you will. Mm-hmm. She bumps into him, and he's she's like, "Oh no, you go, you go first. It's the least I can do for sort of casually bumping into your elbow." And so he does. He orders about 15 coffees. Yes. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Which, again, seems weird. The weirdest part about that is not that he ordered so many coffees. It's that those coffees are clearly empty. They didn't even try. They're, like, super so, light. So, yes. Here, here's the thing. He, it's, it's not strange for someone to order lots of coffees at a coffee shop. It is strange that the person gives him a tower of, like, five different coffee carriers stacked on top of each other. So, I don't know. That's about 20 different coffees that he just can carry around with one hand. Here's what would typically happen is you would get, like, a 40-ounce, like, you know, pourable container. Yeah. Uh, like you get that from Starbucks. You get that actually from a lot of any mom and pop place. But for some reason, he needs the coffees to be individual cups and be towered on like five different stories of which can be easily carried with one hand. Not an ideal serving situation. No, especially if those coffees are hot. That is just a hazard waiting to happen. And really, all of our bosses are health and safety. That's really, that's who our bosses are at the end of the day. You think your boss is the CEO of your company? No, no, no. It's health and safety. They have the final say. They have the final say. What's his name? Connor? Yeah, his name's Connor. Connor McLean. He's about to drop <laughs> He's about to drop these coffees onto a five year old that's walking next to him. And that five year old is going to die with all those coffees poured onto him. It's not gonna be pretty. And who's gonna be responsible? It's you, front front desk waiter. Wait, everybody's a waiter. Front front desk a clerk at this bakery. He's a barista, yes. He's also very big in this scene. A lot of side characters, very big personalities. So he orders his coffees, takes off. She orders just a uh, blueberry scone and turns out, even though it's first thing in the morning at this coffee shop, they've already sold the last blueberry scone. And it was to Connor McLean, who we don't actually know his name yet, but his name is Connor McLean. (laughs) And she confronts him about stealing. Like she didn't even tell him that she wanted the blueberry scone, but she decides like, I'm going to confront this guy about it adding a little bit of tension right away. She is slighted by the perch by his legitimate purchase of this gun. Mm-hmm. She is slighted. And I, I know it seems like we're spending a lot of time on the scene, even though it's the first one and a lot of time on these details, but that's because the movie spends a lot of time on the importance of these details, which are meaningless later. So he says he bought it for someone special <laughs> uh, to impress them. And so that's what she wanted. We go to the engagement party and this is a tier one wedding movie by the way this has a ton of wedding activities in it and it actually features a real wedding in it real wedding like a wedding actually happens <laughs> by the way listener if we've broken these our movies into tiers by the way in case you, in case you forgot at this point we have a tiered system on this wedding movie we'll get into it later but this is tier one we'll break that down this later yeah, we'll have an episode where we break down terminology but so far all the wedding movies that we've done, all the movies we've done have been tier one wedding movies i don't think we've done a tier two God, we have not done a tier three at all. We'll we'll get, we'll there. get there. We'll get there. So she confronts this guy. He brushes her off, goes to the engagement party. At the engagement party, we meet Serena's mom from Gossip Girl. Who, yes, Lily Vanderwoodson. Lily Vanderwoodson, who I'm going to refer to her as Lily, even though her real name is, <laughs> uh, was it Aunt Olivia 
in the Aunt Lily. Her name's Aunt Lily. We'll say Aunt Lily for now, but it's Aunt Olivia, who it's her aunt, and it's her daughter who's getting married. So it's uh, they're keeping this this wedding in the family uh, in terms of planning and organization. At the engagement party, we meet the uh, the bride to be, who's lovely. Yes. So no conflict there. We find out at this engagement party that the guy she ran into, Connor McLean is the former boyfriend of the bride-to-be and they split apart emily emily they split apart years ago and this is the first time he's seen her since and the mom's like if you're worried about anybody be worried about that guy he's gonna do something to fuck up this wedding we just know it they seem amicable when meeting i think this is some of the few times you see them together both emily and connor they're talking they're chatting they're smiling visually no red red flags but lily vanderwoodson does let uh what's her name know like hey uh it's your job to look out for that guy which brings me to one of my questions is it the wedding planner's job to make sure that no one accosts or like romantically like slights the progression of the wedding i suppose so we need to ask uh, the wedding planner soon if you're planning a wedding obviously part of your job is to stop any roadblocks that might come up or impediments or anybody like causing drama at this wedding. That's kind of your job. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you already got paid. Maybe it's, it's not It's not under your jurisdiction. You know. Look, if I'm hiring a wedding planner, it's half now, half after the wedding's done, <laughs> sealed up. You know, I'm not paying full price <laughs> a yet. A successful wedding. I want to see a successful wedding. Unless you, of course, I want it to, falls apart for no reason. <laughs> I want a fucking mission accomplished sign over the wedding by the end of this. Okay? Otherwise, you ain't getting your deposit. Now, at this engagement party, we are introduced to not only the... For the first love interest, Connor McLean, but also the bride, Emily, and the groom, Todd Brannigan, who is the definition of charm. That's what they say. Definition of charm. I don't see it at all. <laughs> it doesn't. He's got a nice belt. He he's in this movie a few times, and each time he has a nice belt. They don't so even try to give him like charm. a personality really until like later. So he's like, he's the definition of charm. But really in these movies, what that, that means is that he has money. Anytime anybody says somebody's charming in one of these rom-coms, it literally means they're rich. Nothing else. Yes. Yeah. So this dates all the way back to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, he's he's a Darcy. Yeah, exactly. But this guy's like, oh, he's just nice. He's like kind of nice to people, kind of disinterested and has money. That's it. Done deal. So Connor <laughs> McLean says that he's actually a private investigator who has been hired by a secret person to investigate the groom. So a lot of information being thrown fast. We have a, it's Christmas. We have a wedding coming up on Christmas Eve. The wedding planner's first wedding. She's also a family member. Ex-boyfriend from 10 years ago comes into town. He's a PI investigating the groom. Yeah, within 80 seconds, it's revealed that he's the ex-boyfriend and then also is a PI investigating the wedding, independent of his relation to his past relation to the uh, bride. Very interesting Mm -hmm. stuff happening here. And on top of that, Aunt Olivia introduces to Kelsey that there's another special guest at all the festivities. And it is the chief editor of WeddingDuJourMagazine.com, which is a huge deal for wedding planners. The chief editor of WeddingsDuJourMagazine.com? Oh, my God. Yeah, she she doesn't even do the primary writing these days. She's the editor. But no, they, they sent her they down. They sent her instead. down. Big woman in charge. My deal. gosh. So they, they throw that out there, too. So stakes are high. There's a lot of stakes, and they're all very, very high right now. And also, guess what? We don't see the editor to the very end of the movie. Okay. <laughs> this is the one time that you we see, see her. her a couple of times throughout the movie and that's it and there's no payoff and nothing ever happens because of maybe they were planning for a sequel i don't know 
but nothing happens with this editor. It was pointless. They should have cut it. I don't know why it was there. This is the a, a trope that I think I I do need a doggy ear uh, for future movies as well. It's like the the writer for the wedding. How many weddings have writers? Like, does that happen often enough? Like, they get assigned to a wedding and they follow the whole thing? What the hell? I, I'm looking out for it. Yeah, I don't know. That That's a weird trope that I think it's just to add some... 27 Dresses had it, but it was, like, actually part of the plot. This movie, they just added it because... I think this movie just look, looked at other wedding movies and rom-coms and just stole little <gasps> tropes so oh, that they can... You, Chris. This is the the Christmas wedding planner. Is <laughs> an entirely original idea. It actually is based on a book. What am I talking about? It is based on a book called something. Does else, the book predate it, all the rest of these movies? That's a good question. I don't, I don't think know. it. I, I can't imagine it does. Or maybe Twenty Seven Dresses steals from this book. I have no idea. <gasps> but the idea that they just they wanted to add some more stakes, so they threw in a couple more things. Connor McLean, he tries to get Kelsey to help him out with his investigation. He already seems to be like kind of interested in her, and she already seems to be charmed by him. Even though, frankly, he's just been kind of an asshole. Like, there's nothing, like, not like an aggressive one, but just like kind of like a passive asshole who, like, ignores her. That's right. Yeah. And, like, she tr- she also has been kind of an asshole where she just tries to, like, interrupt him and start fights for no reason. So, so he actually, like, go, she goes up to him being like, hey, I know you're the ex. You're not going to get in the way of this wedding, which is very accusatory. Like, he could just be an amicable ex. But then for some reason, he then immediately t- decides to tell her, I'm also a PI investigating this wedding <laughs> to see to ground up dirt on the groom. And then he, he weirdly says, you should help me with my investigation. And she says no. And then he says, if you change your mind, I'm going to go be at this one fucking restaurant like every day for 24 hours. But yeah, for the next <laughs> it's few called days, George's. I'm going to be at George's, yeah. the restaurant. So now we cut to later that day. It's the dress fitting so another big important detail about weddings is you know you have to you have a dress fitting make sure the dress is all good to go it's always a dress fitting scene it's like you know the sith there's always a master and there's always a people there's always a a dress fitting scene in a a wedding movie at least in a tier one well i thought at least in a tier one well i thought that there was going to be sort of a classic dress try on montage not the case at all they they show two dresses at this dress fitting they show the classic uh wilson women you know that the family dress that has been worn by many generations and she's like i don't really want that old dress whatever i have this other dress in mind and they show the other dress and it's the perfect one and it fits perfectly Done also deal. it's terrible that dress that she <laughs> that she picks is absolutely terrible uh she she's like fucking john snow's queen or some shit she's wearing like, like a fur pelt McQueen. She's McQueen, and she's, McQueen. she's got like a white fur pelt across her, and it's like a sleeveless thing. It, I think it looks awful, but like I, I think I'm establishing, I'm establishing that like there's no continuity of taste in any of these movies, like because every single wedding dress, we should probably at some point pull together like a, a rating of wh- what each uh, wedding dress you know rated, but they've all been so different and they've all been so bad or pretty okay. It's just there's no continuity of taste between all these which i found pretty interesting a lot of them are of their time too so depending on when the movie came out it, it feels very much of that curtain era and style 2017 game of thrones was so hot it was so hot so hot then. man people were like we love it i mean we can cut to the style of the actual wedding later but they wear a lot of black which is not a good idea it looks like a fucking funeral like everyone's wearing black <laughs> it's terrible like why why make this choice it's like and it's a it's christmas a wedding Canadian tradition chris it, well it's a christmas Canadian. wedding you have red and green options right there if you really wanted to and you could it's for the take and you could be subtle about it you know i mean red's maybe a bad idea but you can be subtle about like 
you know, green uh, dresses and things. doesn't matter. Two words. Accent colors. Accent colors. At the beginning of the dress fitting, though, we have a little montage of introducing the three types of bridesmaids. There's always three types There's of only bridesmaids. only three. And this movie does a little stylized thing here. Well, when each bridesmaid is introduced, little on-screen text appears. It never does shit like that ever again. It, it like it just tried <laughs> something randomly, and then that was it. So what are these three types of bridesmaids we, we got here? Let's see. The first one, the jealous bridesmaid. She wants this to be about her wedding and her day. And everything's like, this was going to be my idea. I wanted that dress. I wanted this venue. <laughs> Wait, no, she does say that. She says, I wanted this venue. Or like, I wanted my dress to be exactly like that. That's what I mean. She's like was... jealous of the bride's life. Not that she's getting married. She like wants so her life. There's, there's the jealous one immediately followed by the bitter one, which is a little confusing because those two emotions are very similar in how they're presented. It's not different enough. The bitter, yeah. The bitter one is like upset because I guess I assume they went through a breakup recently. So a divorce. Like, oh, yeah. A divorce. Excuse yeah. me. She's, oh, she's yeah, so introduced sorry. as having been recently divorced, even though she looks like she's 24. So that, well, you know, that marriage was never going to last. It, yeah, it's you're better off. Um, but she d- does very similar lines where it's like, "Who needs this? Who needs them?" Or like, oh, "I'm so happy that you're happy, but not really." So again, very confusing episode one style uh, theologies here, where anger leads to hate, but hate could also just lead to anger. So jealousy, <laughs> jealousy, and bitterness. A little confusing wow. there. Is that another? That's a Star Wars reference. If you're playing bingo out there with our podcast, that's a Star <laughs> Wars reference. I'd take it down. Take a shot. Actually, if you want to make a drinking game out of our show, go ahead and do that. Send me the details. I'd love to play along. Listen, our show is dense. There's a lot going on, and it's also like poetry. Probably, it's it is like poetry. You might even say it rhymes. Um, but there there is a third. Only three out. So we got jealous and bitter. And what's the third type? The third type Chris? is clumsy, type. obviously. Which is so funny. Like, they ran out immediately. They're like, and then the third one's just fucking clumsy. She just can't. She, like, drops shit. That's her her whole. That's, of course, there's there's that one bridesmaid at every wedding who's clumsy. Of course. And she immediately, like, drops an entire box of macaroons and, like, on the floor on somebody's dress. And those are very expensive cookies (laughs) that she just 100% all of them on the floor. Terrible person. Yeah. Get her out of the wedding. She's going to fuck up in somehow, some way. So they introduce those three, the three types of bridesmaids. It never matters later on. Like they play it up for like a couple of jokes in that scene and maybe a couple jokes later and that's it. Uh, no meat of honor though. No Mo in- introduced. Uh, well, it, actually, is it weirdly? No, it is her. It is uh, Kelsey. She ends up being the Mo. Like we see her later on. They never talk about it though. The delineation between Moe's and wedding planners and the last movies that we've seen, it's always gray. If there is a wedding planner, if there's, if the Mo is the main character of the movie, there typically isn't a wedding planner in any capacity, but like they're always doing the same roles. They're always there at the fitting. They're always catering the food. Yeah. Like, wh- yeah. Where's the line? You know, what is it? What is a wedding movie like when there's both a Mo and a wedding planner and they like team up or they're at odds against each other? You know, how does that, that movie's change be the dynamic there. of the wedding? That movie's got to be it's out. It's got to be out. And we're going to yeah. we're going to find that one and we'll do it. We'll do that movie. <laughs> All right. So uh, she texts the mom to, to break the news to her. Hey, we're not going to use your wedding dress. Basically, people text back instantly in this uh, in this universe. That's something to know. People are holding their phones right next to their face, waiting for a text. Todd, the bro- the groom, he shows up to the wedding dress try-on. He brings little gifts for all of the bridesmaids and a little gift for his bride. Just like looks like diamond necklaces, I think. <laughs> if you like look in the box. 
Mm-hmm. And then we see somebody's canceled. I think caterer's canceling on the phone. And while on the phone with the... Uh, yes, Marco is his name. Marco, the caterer. He's canceling. And while Kelsey's on the phone with her, she sees through the crack in the door that Todd is flirting with the reception woman at the uh, dress fitting. Wow. Yes. He's flirting with I mean, this guy's a piece of fucking shit. Yeah, she's she's looking through like a crack in the door, and they see them like looking up at a mistletoe, mm-hmm. and like you know leaning in when maybe they shouldn't be leaning in. And she she's lots, saying lots you're of, so bad, and she is thirsty. She's thirsty for this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of unnecessary smiling. I think some shoulder touches, and then he of course leans in, whispers something in her ear, and then you see him like write something in a book, in a notebook uh, there that lands back on the desk in front of the receptionist, mm-hmm. to which Kelsey is mortified uh, as Marco is telling him that due to the emotional distress of getting divorced, um, he cannot cater. <laughs> Was that the conversation? I thought there's a lot of... Yeah, they, they do have that conversation where she says, like, Marco, like, your wife left you. I'm so sorry, but, like, what are you saying that the lobster can't get here in time or something like that? There's a lot of detail for Marco, a character that is, is written out very, very quickly. They provide a lot maybe of detail, delete, like, unnecessary Maybe it's a deleted scene. I don't, I don't know. But Marco's story, basically, due to emotional distress, he can't finish his job. It happens to the best of us, Marco. I hope you're doing good out there. But anyway, she, she's immediately thrown aback, like, oh, my gosh, this guy just talked to this lady and wrote something in a book. What could it mean? At this point, we've also established that Connor McLean calls Kelsey Kells. 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 Right? Kells? Kells? Kells. 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 So I'm going to call her Kells. Of course, Kells has to investigate. She needs to know what was written down in that notebook. So she tries to distract the receptionist as they're leaving with a couple of questions about paintings. And she looks. The first thing she finds is she opens to a page that just has some scribbles on it. And I literally thought that's what the guy had written. Which is Yeah, because I have written down because, yeah, she uh, distracts her. Is like, hey, what's that? And then she opens the book that's right in front of her because, of course, she can't see her for some reason. And so she opens the book. And I do pause the thing and enhance. There's scribbles Mm -hmm. where the guy presumably wrote something to which I thought, like, is this a setup? Is, is the groom, like, did he know that she was watching her and then he pretended to scribble something? Like, is this, like, some fucking uh, Big Lebowski type shit where they, they get the pen and they just see the drawing? He just like, drew a big penis inside of her notebook. <laughs> exactly. Wait, what does it mean? Um, but that doesn't pay off at all. This movie has two options. Either he's dumb as fucking rocks and literally hits on the first woman he sees right next door to a room full of his, like, wife-to-be's friends and, and his wife. The wife is in and there. And his wife. The, the fiance. Right. Yeah. So he's either that fucking dumb that he would hit on this person right away and then, like, give her his number. Like, that's such a stupid risk to take. Or it's not what it seems like. Those are the only two options. And either option's dumb. So <laughs> so she sees the scribbles, then asks about the cookies. Oh, yeah. The cookies on, on, on her desk as well. Right. And she has to come up with a convoluted reason to get into that notebook. So it turns out the cookies are baked by this very eccentric, world-class baker who happens to know everybody in town. Sherelle, I think his name is. Charles. 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 Charles, yes. Charles, his name. He, uh, I, This guy was playing this character big. He was like, I'm only going to be in this movie for a couple of scenes. I'm going to make a fucking mark. I'm going to be eccentric, and I'm an artiste, even though, like... Wait, so I was... I was so confused about what was going on in the scene because, like, 
let me let me get this straight. So she's trying to get into that notebook. She wants to see more than just the squiggles that are apparently in that notebook. So she sees the cookies that are on the receptionist's desks, and then she says, "Where do you get these cookies from?" And then she says, "I get them from Charles. He's great." And so I guess she somehow intuits that she's gonna go get more cookies. She gets them daily, I think, which is funny. Okay. And or weekly or something like that. She gets them regularly, and. The very next scene, which I guess is the next day, the movie is very confusing with its use of time, but I think it's the next day. It's a ba- she's planned a baking lesson with the bride herself and Charles as the teacher. Charles then says, like, he doesn't like this idea. He's like, why, why am I here? Why is she coming to pick up the cookies from here? She never does that. So Kells, uh, she intuits that this receptionist is going to need to get more cookies at some point. So she has the baker come to their house to give them a cooking lesson and then also has that same baker give the cookies for the receptionist, make her come to the house to pick up her cookies. How did she know she was going to need more cookies? Like, anyway anyway so that this is her scheme because if she comes here to get the cookies that means she's going to have an opportunity to get the notebook which she also assumes the receptionist is going to have on her they act like this is going to be a like a really big weird thing but the receptionist is automatically like no you do this all the time like if you're doing a private lesson i come pick up the cookies from the person's house that you're doing the private lesson at so it's like oh this is actually normal and they made a big deal about this for no fucking reason where it's like oh she does come pick up the cookies from wherever she goes takes a phone call while he like deals with the wrapping on the package for the cookies. So so to deli- so the cookies are there. They're ready to go, but Kells tells uh Sherelle, Charles <laughs> that you need to somehow sabotage the cookies so that they're not ready so that way I can have time to s- steal her notebook. So what she does is she like clips one little ribbon off the packaged cookies and then that somehow makes a delay for the for Sherelle to say to to uh, the receptionist oh uh, it's not ready yet i need to get it just ready and she's like oh when are the cookies are going to be done it's like well <laughs> they're not done quite yet even though he's just playing with the ribbon on the box the cookies are done but he's saying like the cookies aren't ready yet and it's at this point that i'm screaming at the monitor like nothing this is like a scene from the room where this guy's just like playing with the ribbon saying the cookies aren't done yet repeatedly i'm freaking out i'm loving this movie at this point yeah, it's a completely frivolous scene. It introduces his character, which is great. I do want to mention something that happened in the scene before, that uh, when she is introducing the idea of, like, oh, we got to let the mom down softly, she says something. She says, uh, for anyone taking notes, do you remember this? Yes, and that and that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is like a scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm just I, I the fourth wall is breaking right here. Right, it's me. I'm taking notes. She's talking to me. <laughs> she breaks the fourth wall to dr- address me personally, Chris Lancashire. She addresses me. Kells addresses me. <laughs> and, then, and then I just lean into the the computer microphone. I'm like, yeah, Kells. Yeah, I'm taking notes. What do you have to say to me? I'm literally waiting there with like I'm typically writing this in uh, on a Google Doc. I take out a pencil this time. I was like, I, I need to get this down for real. Kels is asking me. She's asking me. So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was funny. She's like directly talking to us. All right. So they have a, like a, their little baking lesson. It is just more comedic relief. Uh, Connor calls Kels, uh, which is a bit of a 
creepy move. He just he gets her number from somebody. This is the second time he's he's called her. The first time he called her was thirty seconds after talking to her at the uh, the bride fitting. He's like, "Hey, I just want to make sure you thought about my offers." Like, I literally talked to talked to you thirty seconds ago about like offering to do a PI shit. So this is the second time that he calls her. Right, right. Where he's like, "Hey, really work with me to be a PI on this <laughs> on this case." And she goes to meet him at the restaurant, and he's at George's. At George's, yeah. and he breaks down. It's funny because he's like sitting at a booth, and he's just got like pictures of Todd. The groom, just like surveillance about. photos, yeah, black like, and white surveillance okay. photos. This is weird. She sits down uh, across from me. He's like, "Oh, well, let's get something to eat if you're gonna help me out." Well, she she does agree to help him out. Uh, she just wants to know everything because he won't tell her who hired him. He's like, "I can't tell you who hired me for confidentiality, confidentiality, PI, customer, whatever relations." Yeah. I don't know. Uh, now the person running this restaurant and also who is their server, no other than Joy Fatone, baby. Joey Fatone of Backstreet Boys fame. In sync. In sync fame. Oh, excuse me. How dare you? How fucking yeah, dare you? Really, edit part edit that part out. I don't want anyone to know that I couldn't tell the difference. I'm gonna edit I'm that out be- because I feel like I know you're listening, Joey Fatone. I know you are. Buddy, it's okay. Plenty of people don't have things going on right now. It's okay that Listen, you're Listen, Joey Fatone does have something going on because he is the most uh, enjoyable actor in this movie. I'm going to say He seems to be aware like, of what actual movie he's in and plays it up perfectly. He's having a good time. L- Lily Bass, Lily Vanderwoodson, she's good too. But like him, I loved him. Loved him in this movie. Loved film. him. He's great. So I'm, I'm glad he's in it. And it's revealed that he actually co-owns the restaurant with... Connor McLean, and they uh, he does the financial side of things and he does everything else including yeah uh, she actually she says like you own this restaurant too and he literally tells her pump the brake sister don't get it twisted don't get it twisted (laughs) I I, I'm I'm the one who owns it I'm the one who runs it he's the money he's he's a partner um just for some reason the way he delivers his lines here is the best anyone could and I love it good for you Mm -hmm. Joe good for you and so she says I'm gonna be the one to order for both of us and so she orders the lobster for him and for herself she says this line and I I don't want to harp too much on the lines in this movie but she says I'll have whatever you're making back there that smells delicious (laughs) well I'm sorry to tell you this but it's a fucking kitchen they have everything back there they're making everything it's a restaurant woman what do you like really yeah you were you were smelling water boiling you were smelling water boiling. Water boiling or sauce simmering or whatever, but there's a ton of different things. They don't make one thing at this restaurant. So that cacophonous smell you, you're intaking right now, it could be any number of dishes. Yeah, the, the we have the bathroom open. All the cleaners just need to air out. That's what you're smelling right now. Right. You know, and this isn't the first movie to make that kind of comment in a restaurant, but I want to point it out. That's not useful for someone who's a waiter. It's not useful to be like, whatever that smell is, I want Again, that. W- I'm in working in food service. I was angry enough whenever anybody would just be like, make a recommendation. If someone said to me, like, fucking uh, just get me whatever I, I'm smelling, I would tell them to get the fuck out. Like, oh my gosh, look at a menu. God damn it. Anyway, yeah, please. Connor breaks down that he thinks Todd's suspicious. The, the most suspicious thing he has on Todd is he doesn't actually think this guy's rich. He actually doesn't think this family's rich. In fact, he thinks they might be broke, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the biggest crime anybody can commit is not having money. That's atrocious. <laughs> you don't have money? Well, you're a criminal scum. He does imply that he is merely potentially marrying what's-her-name just for her money, which then leads to you know maybe this uh, this emotion that he says that he feels for her is not legitimate. Right, it's but very his, evidence of that, evidence. his evidence of that is that they don't have money. 
which is to yeah. assume that any guy marrying a wealthier woman is doing it for money is such a condescending. The implication I, I felt is that like he's doing it for money. So therefore, on top of that, it's going we're going to find more stuff that's going to reveal that he doesn't really feel the way he says he feels about her, which is to say maybe he's cheating on her or something like that. But uh, again, I will say he was hired. He's this isn't like something that he like really wants to figure out. Like, okay, I, some guy hired me to do this shit, so I'm gonna look at the circumstantial evidence or the circumstantial nature of like what I think these people's relationship is, and I'm gonna see if there's anything deeper than that, which is what he's is is doing. And it's what he was hired to do. But that does lead them to then steal private information, which is a no. I mean, they break laws or whatever so they make a, a plan to steal private uh, financial information from the dad of the groom because he's thinking that the, their family are the ones that are fucking bankrupt broke ass mm-hmm. motherfuckers yeah so they're like okay we need to find out if they really are and so in order to do that i need to break into the father the the patriarch of this family's computer and there's going to be a party at this house tree trimming so, party it's a big famous tree trimming party that they always have traditional tree trimming mm-hmm. yes traditional tree trimming well it's a it's a triple t is it not? <laughs> a triple T. Yeah, triple T. according to the triple T. T to the third power, which is very, it's classic. They're going to the T3, the tradition, the T3. T3. They're going to, a, they're going to a bit of a T3 and they know what they're in for. And their cover is when they, when they get there, Connor. Because you need cover to go to a wedding party when you're the wedding planner and you're the friend of the wedding guests. Here's the thing. You need a cover. He just wanted, he wanted to sow the seeds of romance. So he, oh, he wanted to sow some seeds. He wanted to sow yeah, some right. seeds. All right. And so he he sort of planted his own little seed by saying we're in a relationship, already putting that idea. He's a bit of a manipulative guy. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. He planted that yeah. seed even though Again, they could have just been He's honest. a rogue. He's a rogue. He's, he's an anti-hero. He's, yeah. he's a bit of an anti-hero. He's a bit of a rogue. He writes that line. He doesn't He look, he's not the hero in that PG movie that everyone looks at and goes, "Oh, he's Prince Charming." No. He's that roguish anti-hero in the R movie. These times that we live in, we need a real hero, a real human who is flawed. Who is flawed. Who will, who will... And he's, he's, he's from the R movie, not the PG-13 movie. He's from the R movie where you're like, I don't know if I trust <laughs> this guy. I don't know if he's good for me, but I want to let him in. He, te- he tests us, all right? He, te- he tests the viewer. It's, it's not easy. And this, and like, oh, man, there's so, so dense, so much going on. Anywho. They go to this movie. This movie. They go to they this go to movie. The, they go to the movies first. They go to the party, and um, so th- they have their cover set up for some reason, and they make a little game where she distracts the 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 father and the mother of the groom, uh, in order for him to like quickly interview like the caterers to ask questions about them, like, "Hey, how's your health insurance?" or whatever. So he gives a card to a pregnant woman, uh, who's like, "Hey, call me up." She's asking the help for 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 uh, any skinny on the financial situation of the family. Right, right. So then they sneak away to the study to like break into his computer. It, very it, masculine study. Very yeah. masculine study. Classic rich dark, person study. Dark wood everywhere. He yes. breaks into his uh, his computer. Connor McLean breaks into the computer using the password that is like the name of his boat. They download onto a thumb drive a bunch of personal financial information, which is again completely fucked. <laughs> But whatever. Fuck fuck the Brannigan family. <laughs> then as cover, because they hear the dad coming, they start to make out. And the dad is so fucking cool with it. 
He's so cool. No, no, no. He, he, he isn't cool with it until he gets the line fed to him. Like, well, you know, ladies, like, you know, they, you got to keep them happy, right? And then he says, that's right, my boy, we do. No, he says, uh, <laughs> and he that, just that fucking, we do, my boy. And then afterwards he goes, I'll leave you to it. Which and he, sli- he just closes the wooden doors again. I think he was skeptical at first that they were actually Ugh. looking out. But once he accepted that they were, he was cool with it. You could see the actor portrayed it in his face. And then not only is he cool with it. But he's like, I'm just going to grab this liquor and leave. Yeah. You guys keep fucking in my study. Please go. Right. I'll leave you. I'll leave you to it. It's like, go ahead. Fuck in my study. I'm cool. <laughs> I think it's hot that you're fucking in here. Thank you. Yeah. And like, what the hell? I mean, that's all you got to do when you're trespassing and a, and like a, a very traditional quote unquote man, like you're trespass, trespassing on his land. It's like, hey, I'm fucking over here. Like, cool. Cool, dude. Well, now this cool. movie's got me confused. This movie's got me fucking twisted because I'm like, this Brannigan <laughs> dad is fucking cool. He's awesome. <laughs> like, he was going in there to get some extra liquor for the party, the good stuff. And then he was yeah, like, his own personal stash. His own personal stash. And then he turned to them and was like, hey, you guys fucking in my study? Go for it. And then takes off. This is a party, ain't it? This is this a fucking a party. Dude, at the tree trimming party, everyone's trimming trees. <laughs> The good old T3 every year. This is why I look forward to the T3. I wish there was a line where he said, this is why I always look forward to the T3. Yeah, he goes downstairs and put his arm around his wife and he's like, T3, hell of a night. (laughs) It's the fucking Catalina wine mixer of Christmas uh, holiday seasons. So next scene we have coming up here is the cake testing with Charles. Now, cake test uh, taste tests are... Very important, obviously. You're sort of laying the groundwork for what the wedding cake is going to be. They have a bunch of different options. This seems like this would be the mo- one of the more fun things to do while planning a wedding. I would love to be the groom of a wedding just so that I can go through the planning stages to have an idea of that stuff. I, that stuff sounds so fun to me. You're just like talking shit about you know your friends and family, trying to organize seating charts and stuff. It'd be a lot of fun. Taste testing a bunch of different cakes. It'd be great. I wouldn't follow through with it, though. I'd, I would... Uh, <laughs> I'd leave my bride at the the altar and I'd run. <laughs> Give everybody a bit of a show. Love the call of the wild. I mean that I think that's ultimately your your downfall is that you're gonna just be so into the wedding planning process is that every single wedding you leave at the end of it. Because you just you want to get to that part. I wanted the that's chase. The apex of, yeah, that's the apex. It's not even the chase. You want the wedding planning. That's that's the fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, and once you get it, you gotta go on to the next one. Sorry, babe. Next wedding calls. <laughs> <laughs> the next wedding planning calls. But I don't want to plan it. I want it be, to be planned for me, but I want to be involved. Yeah. All right. Emily, she's heard word at this point that Kells is kind of seeing Connor McClain. Mm-hmm. And she's cool with it. There's no drama there. She's so cool. She's like, yeah. yeah, give me all the details. And she's like, what, you're not upset? She's like, we dated 10 years ago. We were children. It doesn't matter. You know, he came to wish me a happy life for my new marriage. I'm, I'm totally fine with it. And I was like, fucking thank you. Yeah, the story that we know of, by the way, is that Emily and Connor were together, presumably around 10 years ago, and Connor just left her apropos of nothing one day. He, like, picked up his shit. I guess they lived together at the time or something, and then he just left without a single word. And he broke her heart, understandably. He was horribly heartbroken. But evidently, they're, they've grown past it, and she's and she's cool with it. She's like, yeah, fuck my cousin. It's cool. I, I don't care. It's been 10 That's years. That's great. It's been 10 years. Yeah. You know, get over it. No one no one <laughs> should be possessive of a person to that degree. Look, if it, if it had happened like two months ago, it would be a different story, like pump the brakes mm-hmm. on this. But 10 years ago, whatever. I mean, these people can't be more than like their mid-20s. So they dated when they were in high school. <laughs> I mean, Connor McClain actually seems like he's in his mid-30s. 
he's like that's how they split that demo where they're like he's probably 35 years old so he's going to be able to appeal to the younger women and older women the exact same chris from what from what i could tell from these movies everyone is a clean 30 and 10 years ago they were also 30 no the women that's how the women aren't though (laughs) The women are always oh, they're always young. pushing thirty. They're always pushing thirty. Maybe they almost always. Kels are. is like pushing twenty two. Wait, how old is she in real life? Did you look this up? She's in like her mid twenties. They're all pretending to be twenty nine. That's that's how I think. That's how I how I internalize. Maybe this. the movie wants us to think Kells is like pushing twenty nine or pushing thirty, but she acts like she's in her mid twenties to early twenties. She acts like she's still in college almost. Um, just like her energy, which is fine. Very clumsy. Yes. Now she meets up with Connor again because now they're going to tail Todd over the next stalk him. Stalk him. Yes. yes, over the next two days to see what he's up to, to see if there's any dirt. Did we have a bit of a stalking montage? And I know this is a Christmas <laughs> movie, so don't get mixed up. It's not those kind of stalking. It's actually the criminal activity stalking where they yes. follow this man who seems to be completely innocent of any crime and he's generous and he's kind to the people around him. He doesn't do anything shady. And we have a little montage I, I, of Connor McClane. It is weird that, like, during this montage, they see t- Todd walking a lot. He walks a lot. I mean, maybe that's just what he does. He Maybe he doesn't own a car. I don't it's know. But town. he's always walking somewhere. It's, it's a small town. And they're always following him. Tailing this man, stalking this man, makes them fall in love with each other. We see a little <laughs> them falling in love montage as they stalk another human being. And <laughs> it's a little It's the thrill of the hunt that really binds people together, you know? She sits down with him at the restaurant after all of this and says, and he like says to her, you know what? The financial records seem clean. He seems clean. Maybe there's nothing here. Like maybe he's just a decent guy, which if you're any normal human being, you'd be like, yes, nothing shady is going on. It doesn't seem like it anyway. It's totally fine. <laughs> she brings up that like, well, actually I think he might be cheating on her because I saw him give his number to the receptionist at the dress fitting. And I think we should go to this restaurant. I know where he'll be. We can check it out. They sit at the restaurant. And they they sit a little ways. It's another away from restaurant, him. different restaurant. Yeah, and not George's. Not George's, which is never. No one's ever in George's. It's never busy at all. This restaurant's <laughs> pretty busy. They sit a few tables away. They watch him. He's sitting on his own. They, completely invisible. Yeah, can't be seen. At, completely out of nowhere, they have a conversation where they're sort of being open and honest with each other about like maybe they're starting. Oh no, no, not not the feelings yet, but just like little details about each other's characters. She uh, texts somebody and she always finishes up this text with uh, love you muchly. Yes. Throughout the, throughout the movie, she's been making almost like diary entry esque test texts to someone um, that always end with love you muchly. Correct. And he oversees, he like sees it and he says, uh, Oh, I didn't realize that you were like, you had a boyfriend and she says, actually it's not a boyfriend. Um, I actually, I've been texting my mom and she reveals that her mom actually passed away several years ago, but she's not over it. And she keeps her phone. uh, She pays for her phone bills so that she can text her mom what's going on with her. Thanks for reopening these wounds, Connor. Really appreciate it. (laughs) This is a good thing. This is a good thing for their characters because she opens up to him in this way. That's very vulnerable and he is very receptive of it. And it leads to them getting close. I think that's actually, it was a good thing because she is the one who decides to reveal this information. Right. But he, she does after like, he like looks at her text comments on it. And then like, by the way, there's multiple people that you love in your life, not necessarily a boyfriend. It's like, why would you, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Cause you said, I love you too on a text. Like, 
Not your place, dude. Not I'm gonna say not your place. But from Connor McLean's perspective, he's like, I'm falling for this girl. I have to know if she's got a boyfriend. Because if she does, I have to back away because I can't open myself up to this. Here's how you do that. You ask her without fucking commenting on the text that you should not have been reading. Well, I, is, uh, I don't So think... you got a boyfriend or <laughs> well, first of all, the fact that he reads the text is a violation, but he's a bit of a rogue, he's a yes. bit of a creep, we know this. <laughs> she at this point she knows what she's signing up for is what you're saying is like she knows he's a creep yeah well she knows that reading text is probably the least of her worries <laughs> this man could, could steal financial information from anyone apparently. they stole financial information from people and they stalked a man for three days i think that she and she helped so i think that they're they're both a bit roguish they're both in the same toilet yeah uh, a woman then sits across from todd at the table right before they give up uh, to leave. Oh, it's important to note that at the scene, there was a waiter who sort of confronts them thinking like, oh, is this a romantic dinner? Like, no, we're actually business partners. He's like, ah, so forbidden love. It like really pushes that they're there romantically. Um, and in the middle of her dramatic story about her like mother passing and it being hard on her and like she still texts uh, her mother's phone, he brings wine to the table that he had ordered for them and like puts it in front of them and like leaves without comment. And it is maybe the most realistic depiction of a waiter I've ever seen. I know they're in the middle of a dramatic story, but I need to get this wine to their table because... <laughs> I got other tables I'm working on. Well, I got other I tables. Do this you need now. to pick your battles. Like, they might be upset that I took so long to bring the wine. Like, I, I also... When I was a waiter, I've been in that situation where someone's having a very tense conversation. And you're like, this is a bad time for me to bring shit, but I have to bring shit. I really like the the moment where he totally unprofessional. He shouldn't be pushing the date narrative on them, but he's doing it anyway. He says like, "Oh yeah, forbidden love. We're not allowed to date here either." And then he looks over at a coworker and he just nod nods at him, and then his coworker gives him a nod, like fit, like not in focus of the frame whatsoever. And I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. it was good. That was again that that moment's too good for this movie. <laughs> so they confront Todd now after seeing that he has oh he's with a woman. They didn't even wait. She didn't wait like two seconds before confronting. And it's not just any woman, Chris. It's the receptionist that we saw earlier. Right, right. The, he uh, wrote a note saying to meet uh, him at this restaurant at this time on this day. And they confront him about it. They confront him way too soon because we don't know. He's just had to dinner with another woman. Like, nothing romantic has happened yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean that's that's not a good sign, know, Chris. The lighting is pretty. The lighting is pretty dim in this in this restaurant, Chris. It's pretty romantic. Too dim for business partners to have dinner. Yeah, evidently, mm. evidently, evidently. All I'm saying is take some pictures of them at the at the table and wait yeah. for something more compromising to happen. She jumps. Yeah, the wait gun. for like a hand to like you know go across the table and then someone to like gesture like let's get out of here or something like you, you gotta wait. Right. She doesn't wait. Immediately goes up, confronts them. He explains that actually they've known each other for a long time. And he was trying to secretly buy the wedding dress for his groom or sorry, for his uh, for his bride. And he just didn't want her to know. And to thank for like a large discount they're going to receive to thank her. He's taking her out for dinner and which is like suspicious. But again, you've Kels, you put yourself in a bad spot here because that's all plausible. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, let's ask each other that. Let's ask you this viewer. Is that weird that a groom takes a receptionist out to dinner alone privately to thank the receptionist for a good deal? Also, we do know that they were flirty and they did like lean into each other and whispered something in each other's ear. They pointed out the mistletoe above themselves. This is when Kels was looking at them. It's still pretty suspicious, which is why she she should have let it happen. Yeah, It's all suspicious, kept looking. but... He does say this is an old friend of mine. If this friend predates the bride, like take going out to dinner is not that big a deal. Again, she, I mean, she, I don't like lean in to whisper sweet nothings to like an old friend and then point out the mistletoe and then 
don't know. It seems a little bit too Unfor- Well, here's the thing. Unfortunately, we don't know what he said. I, again, I think that it's not enough to take this to to break up a wedding. She needed it's a circumstantial. Wait. It's yes. circumstantial. And she's also put herself on the back foot because now she's like unsure of what's going on. And she's made a mm-hmm, huge mm-hmm. mistake by jumping the gun because now she's put herself in an awkward spot rather than putting him in an awkward spot. The receptionist in this scene looks very satisfied with herself, Chris, though. She looks very satisfied, and I'd say that's that's the sign of something. So this plot thread... <laughs> that's the sign that she's actually vindicated. Rather than feeling she got caught, she's like, look how dumb you fucking look right now. Look how dumb you look. I mean, like, if, if I was that person, if I was the receptionist, I would be embarrassed. And I'd be a little bit like, oh, uh, yeah. Uh. But she's just so just like, hell yeah, like you fucking... Okay. Well, apart from this, didn't they mention in this scene that the restaurant they're in is owned by the husband of the receptionist? Exactly. That's further in- Which no, but that's a little weird in that that he takes to thank her for the giving her a good deal. She she uh he takes her out to her husband's restaurant. This is like after you you capture the serial killer, but the serial killer doesn't like, you know, admit to all of the murders, but there's this other murder that like fits that MO perfectly. I'm going to say that's that. It was likely this, but we'll we'll get to the ending uh, and why I think this later. Yeah. So then it's revealed that the reason why Connor left Emily is that the dad bought him off and he gave him money just to leave her straight up with no explanation. Because he didn't like him, I guess, or just whatever. thought he was a dirtbag. Which you kind of yeah. Is. This, <laughs> this is Lily Vanderwoodson revealing this. Mm-hmm. She so. reveals it to Kells. Kells feels like a fucking idiot. Well, specifically because like yeah, so he gets bought, and then he, she, the way Lily presents it is that years later, um, Connor comes back for even more money, and it's like if you don't want me to tell Emily that you bought me, uh, give me more money, and that's what Lily believes happened. Yeah, she feels like he he extorted the father a second time. It's revealed mm-hmm. later on mm-hmm. that he did take the money, but it was to help out his best friend's business, which was going under. Those are mm-hmm. good reasons to take the money. And but the movie always the assumption is always like, no, love should matter more. When you're fucking seventeen, no, it shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was that, and then also he like I, th- I think maybe wisely beyond his years was like I didn't want to make because if I didn't take this money, it would basically be her picking her tw- young twenty-something boyfriend over her father, which is a difficult position to be in. Um, so he didn't want to do that for, to her either. So, which is why he took it. So I guess good on him. Another trope that I, I want to address here is the whole, let me explain when is the, let me explain. Just Kels, let me explain. And she says, no, no. And then he says again, just, if I say one thing, this will, this will solve the whole thing. She's like, no. And then she leaves. She, okay. At what she, po- she literally goes to get an explanation. Yes. Gets the yeah. first explanation, refuses to hear the second explanation, and then later on gets upset that he didn't explain himself. Like Joey Fatone literally says, just explain yourself. Motherfucker, what was he <laughs> trying to do? Like that's all he was trying to do. At what point culturally have we all seen enough of these movies where we know that we should always let someone try to explain? <laughs> when someone says, I can explain hear it and then be like okay that's not a good explanation for me or i don't believe your explanation period and then that's it it's over but at least hear it out no one yeah no one wants to hear the explanation ever ever so the wedding day actually happens and she's prepping the church it's a lovely looking ceremony that's going to happen in fact todd says hey you know what it's in the past i don't even care anymore you've done such a fantastic job this is Literally, you're bringing our dream wedding to life. She gets a call from Joey Fatone, who at this point has been hired to be the caterer. 
Because she loved right. the pasta so much. She loved the fucking she loved, pasta. She liked the one pot. She had one noodle, one one unit of pasta. Uh, she had a pasta. She had the bare minimum pasta. Sw- yeah, and then she switched the meals. She had the lobster instead. And um, because... Uh, Connor McLean uh, is allergic to shellfish. Connor McLean. Connor McClain, thank Connor you. Connor just shellfish. <laughs> and uh, so from that one noodle, from that one pasta, she decides that this man must cater the wedding. I mean, she was looking for a caterer anyway at the time, so maybe this just fit. I'm sure she did a little bit more research. But anywho, uh, yeah, Joey Fatone calls her and be like, oh, all the food's dead because the refrigerator went out yeah, overnight, the freezer which is a pretty good excuse. Went out overnight. We have a mess over yeah. here. She shows exactly. up. It turns out Connor McClain is there. And Joey Fatone tricked Kells into showing up. <laughs> Joy of a tone, you devilish bastard. He knows what he's doing. You know what he you're doing. What doing. You're, I mean, he's honestly, like, I'm going to be the hero of this wedding. He's really in sync with this film. Oh. Shit. And another one. <laughs> it, he tries to explain himself at this point, right? Right. And she won't hear the follow-up ex- explanation. Is this the second time he's explaining himself? This is the second time he's explaining. Yes, that's correct. Right. And she, after being confronted with the check from before, he can't, he, she refuses to listen to his follow-up explanation. It's the same conversation over. It's the same conversation twice. They should have just skipped the first one and had this one happen. I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah. I was like, why did we double up on this conversation? Because she refused to let him explain further. She's like, I can't deal with this today. I'm out of here. She takes off uh, back to the ceremony. A woman comes in and goes, "Uh, I'm following up about that time you accosted me at that wedding Uh, or at that, uh, T3. And <laughs> at, the t- at the T3. At the, yes. at the T3. Well, if we're going to say the T3. It's the talk of the town. There's only one T3 worth mentioning, Chris. Come on. Uh, Well, it's a if it's the T3, not the T4. Not the T4, baby. <laughs> the T3? You're right. It's you're T4. Right. Well, it's already T3. Tree trimming part. Uh, wait a second. T3? Where happened to the P in this? Why do we call it a T3? <laughs> Don't ask about the thirteen, the tree trimming party. But you don't want to say TTP. That's a listen, triple TP. I, I, I think <laughs> that's a triple TP, and we fucked that Chris, up. That's a triple TP. We gotta go back. No, 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 no. The branding of it is too good. The tree trimming party needs to be referred to as the T three. All right, well, don't we'll overthink call it. T three. Even though now yeah. I'm kind of leaning on triple T three P. We could talk about it after triple T P three. But if we're saying triple. <laughs> That's just the a, pregnant lady from from the T three. That's that's just a T cubed P T Q P. T Q P. So she comes up, uh, comes and says, "I have to talk to you." They go to the wedding ceremony. They the wedding starts. The classic asking, "Does anybody object to this union moment?" So I like this moment a lot because the the priest does say that, and then everybody like looks around, like, "Well, this is when somebody would walk in," and like all that, like everybody in the pews just looks around, smiling, and even the priest just gives everybody like an extra beat. He's like, "Well, looking around, no, nobody, nothing. Are you sure? Okay, cool. Anyway, continuing, and then the door opens. Up. Well, here's the thing, though, Joshua, that subversion is actually the new trope because that's happened already multiple times. I mean, in the movies that we've seen, it's never been that aware. You know what I Maybe mean? Maybe not that aware where they're all yeah. looking around, but in Maid of Honor, it also happens where they move on past that part, and then he comes in. Oh, really? In. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Okay. Because now movies are aware, so they're like, oh, wouldn't it be funnier if we waited till after that moment? And it's like, ugh. I mean, we'll, I, we'll I, see I Wedding Crashers. Liked- I particularly like the audience part of it where they're involved too. Like, well, this is when someone will dramatically come in. No? All right. 
They're, they're looking over their shoulder. Mm -hmm. He busts in and says, you can't marry him. He's a cheater. And if you don't trust me, you can trust her. And a pregnant woman walks in and everyone goes, a pregnant woman, the most trustworthy women on the world. <laughs> Just, That's right. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The most trustworthy uh, people, pregnant women. He does say a simple blood test would show, which is to imply like, hey man, put a blood, let's get a blood test in here right now in this church. I'm going to prove you all wrong. Here's the thing though. This is a Sherlock Holmes, like a classic Sherlock Holmes moment. The murderer is one person among you. Well, I'll narrow it down. And then someone steps forward and goes, that's right. I did it. And it's like, why would you admit to it? Like, again, if Todd doesn't admit to it and he's just like, seriously, Connor has it out for me. I don't know who this woman is. This is all unsubstantiated. I, like, so I you're ruining my wedding. That, isn't that what he says? Is like, Connor, you're ridiculous. Like, this is, is not true. And I, then until he's pushed, what happens? Even, until he's pushed yeah. even a little bit where he goes, a simple blood test will disprove that. And then he goes, oh, dad. <laughs> dad. <laughs> the dad gives up the ghost. The dad gives up the ghost here because he's like. So she was fucking lame. I don't know. Like she doesn't deserve anything. Somehow he, he like presents that he, in some type of way. whatever. They they reveal that they've like dropped the ball. But even Todd kind of reveals it by going, "Dad, I swear to God, this movie would be so funny if Todd just like comes down, gets really close to Connor." McClane goes, "Connor, seriously, you're ruining maybe the most important day of my life right now. And I don't know what you have against me, and I don't know who this woman is, but I've been in love with Emily." And you're destroying our Everybody goes, oh. Connor McClain would fucking eat shit at that moment because it would just be like a very honest, <laughs> it'd be very honest. Like, I don't know what you have against me. We can work past that. Like, you're important to Emily. You should be important to me. But this is our wedding. Todd, he, he choked in the open net. He had the puck. He was ready to go. But then he just fucking threw it in, into his... Uh, Outside of the post. Because nobody, so nobody would have thing that, any idea how to handle that. They'd be like, well, even if this is true, we should wait till afterwards. Exactly. But one thing that does happen, though, the, es the situation gets escalated, is that the father of the bride stands up and says, get them get them out, both of them. And then the groomsmen come over, like they're his fucking SS officers. They just grab him and they're about to take him out. And then Lily Vanderwoodson stands up and says, no, stop. And so then they get like conflicting orders and they're the, they don't know what to do with these fucking uh, groomsmen and they just like walk away from the from the situation. Lily is such a flake. She her her turn makes no sense. She's super against Connor this entire time and now we're to believe that almost no evidence. She's just like, "All right, I believe him and Todd sucks." Yeah, exactly. Um one th I for I don't know the line that she has. I she I should have written it down, but she says she says an actually very Lily Vanderwoodson, a Lily Bass even esque line to the uh, dad of the groom um basically just telling him like shut the fuck up like we know the truth like give it up or something like that to which he's like oh yeah and, and then he takes off his scooby-doo mask he takes off his scooby-doo mask and it turns out that uh todd impregnated this maid and then because they felt guilty about it they kept her on as a server still um but uh basically they told her like yeah you ain't getting any money and he's abandoning this child um, it's a little, like, not clear whether or not he was with Emily at the time, though. I'm going to assume he was. No, so he here's the thing. Emily. I don't think so, because they okay. they bring up uh -huh. that they've only been together for a few months. So it looks like he just jumped. Oh, really? Yeah, he looks like he's trying to get married to seal this deal before he has to take care of this woman and her child. Uh, again, this... That doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Well, again, like, once if he just told her, like, hey, I do have a kid or, like, I have a kid on the way or whatever, I guess Emily wouldn't want to marry him. I think the idea is that, like, if we get married first, we can tackle this thing afterwards, but she'll be, there'll be too many legal obligations for her bounce. 
I mean, like, what's the deal with Canadian weddings? Is like, if you get married to someone else, are you not legally obliged to take care of your child anymore? Do you not have to pay alimony? No, no. Like, you, what's the deal? You could probably he would probably be forced to take care of the child, but now they have two rich families together. Like, I think that it's like ah, oh, okay. So it's funny that you mentioned that like they've only known each other for a couple months. And they're like, maybe that's why this wedding wouldn't have worked out. But as we will see in the next couple minutes here. Wedding, <laughs> wedding's off. She goes, uh, Emily leaves and goes outside to a bench and sits down. Kells joins her. They talk about it. And she's just like, you know what? This isn't the worst thing that could have happened. Like, I just didn't know him. Again, she was getting married to a dude she only knew for a few months. Like, that's... And she literally says, that's, that, you know, that was that was on me. I shouldn't have done that. Right. That's a bad idea. Keep this in your head, view, listeners. Keep this, Keep in, this your in your head. head. It's a bad married. idea. I can't yeah. believe I did that. Then exactly. Connor McLean comes out and says, mm-hmm. listen, I needed you to know that the reason I came back for the father is not because I was extorting him. It's because he's the client that hired me <gasps> to look oh into Oh, my Todd. God. His logic Whoa. was, you know, it'd be better for a one dirt bag to find another, which is like... All right, fuck you, uh, uncle. Whatever. So the, the mystery, uh, the mystery uh, hirer in this case was the now was the dead uncle who initially made him leave Emily in the first place. He's like, "Come, I heard you're a PI. You can do this shit. I find some dirt on Todd because I, I got a feeling about him. Got a bad and feeling. He dies. And, so he, yeah, he wasn't extorting the uh, dad. He was just getting hired by him. And that, Good old capitalism. Yeah, yeah. That, that sorts it out. He then tells her that he loves her. Kells, he, Connor McLean tells Kells that he loves Kells. her. And Kells, Connor McLean. So he tells her that he loves her because I guess they've fallen in love. Well, uh, they did fall in love while stalking Todd. And it's like, yay. Which is and then they kiss. fine or whatever. Like them falling in love is makes sense. Whatever. They spend a lot of time together. They obviously get along. That makes sense to me. Can we confirm that it's been like, it's a, it's been a week. It's been a week. At most. But it's been a whirlwind week. I can see why he may have developed like feelings of love. I mean, he's also in his mid thirties. The man, you know, he's. He's aging Clock out right ticking. now. He then pops to one fucking knee and proposes to her and says, do you want to get married? Which she says, this is crazy. Like, I hardly know you. Which I was like, <laughs> I was like, good. So twice now they've brought up, I the, hardly know the you. The line is that like, uh, like Lily Vanderwoodson comes out and Emily comes out while they're like reconciling and, and yay, good for them. And then they're like, well, I guess I better tell them that the wedding's off or like, I and then he says, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait one, just one second. Maybe everybody should stay because, and then he gets down on one knee. It's like, yo, marry me, Kells. And she says, I barely know you. It's such a bad idea. And then what what does he say in response? It's such a bad idea. I barely know you. And he says, well, I'd be willing to get to know you for the rest of my life. Well, that's all I needed to hear. And they do get married. She puts on the, the classic Wilson uh, family dress, wedding dress. That she just had ready to go, I guess. They said, they, like said they would bring it as a backup. Yeah. Oh, oh, they did. They did. Yeah, that was the sugar well, coating text. Fu- this fucking movie, like you know, covers its tracks. This <laughs> it covers its own ass. Yeah. Then they do get married. Everyone's super happy about it. So a wedding does happen. Unfortunately, we do not see the reception. We do see because we, we were told it was going to be awesome. Told it was going to yeah. be awesome, but whatever. We, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, we weren't privy to that. The very last thing we see though is they kiss on the altar, and. Then we see him carrying her across the threshold at the honeymoon suite. And he says, uh, yes, we know it's a honeymoon suite because on the door it says honeymoon, honeymoon suite. suite. And he says, uh, welcome home, Mrs. McLean. And I punched my monitor. <laughs> <laughs> I punched a hole straight like, through my well, monitor. Oh, Mrs. McLean. <laughs> she was supposed Mrs. to be Mrs. Kells Lancashire. <laughs> no. 
Um, when they open the door, she says like, oh, wow, you've got to be kidding me. Because we just see them walking through the door and she looks at what's in the room, the whole suite, presumably. But we don't get to see the suite. Yeah. They just walk forward. There's yeah. no way the suite is that the imagination. There's no way. Yeah. Does she take her, presumably her cousin's wedding honeymoon suite? I guess so. I guess why I, not. I, again, with, with this much money in the family... Money's no object. Who cares? You're right. You're right. So what, what am I thinking? Thinking of money. What a pedestrian idea. These movies don't want you to think about that stuff. So that's the end of the movie. So what, what lessons, Joshua, do you think are to be drawn from this movie? Okay. Again, we got to look out for exes at this wedding. We need to head on a swivel. People's exes showing up here. They're, they're up to no good in some way, or we're going to be able to fucking marry them. Either way, we need to be, be careful. I'm looking out for people's exes because either... They're going to cause trouble or I'm getting married. You know, yeah, that's right, baby. That's Those right. are my You're options. Gonna be Kells. You're going to be someone Kells. Someone, somebody's Kells. Yeah, there's going to be a Kells at this wedding. And uh, guys, I, I hate to say it, but this podcast is going to end with me getting married at this wedding. <laughs> at the very least, you want to fucking get laid in, in uh, Todd's study. Todd, which is the father of the group. <laughs> Could you imagine? Can you imagine if Todd walked in on you? He's like, carry on. Eddie's yeah. soldier, carry on. Exactly. <laughs> boy. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Really appreciate it. I think this is the most important lesson from this movie. Hiring a PA, or PA, <laughs> hiring a, a private assistant. No, uh, the most important lesson <laughs> from this movie that we can draw is that we should probably hire a private investigator to follow the bride around because... <laughs> We've known Dylan since childhood. That's right. We know his M.O. You know, we know what to look out for. We know his M.O. Brittany. What do we really know about Brittany? What do we really know? What does anybody know? What does Dylan know? He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know shit. He doesn't know jack shit. What has he known her for? Years? That means nothing. She could be Batman for all we know. And I think we should hire a private investigator Follow Brittany around. See what the deal is. See if she's a bad person. Hopefully one of her exes. Yes. Presumably. But then it had me thinking, Joshua. It had me thinking. Sure, we've known Dylan since childhood, but maybe we should hire a private investigator to follow Sky around. <laughs> what do we really know about this guy? He could be Batman for all we know. <laughs> so I think we should hire a couple of private investigators and follow the bride and the groom around. Okay, you're joking, but this is like another romantic comedy plot where the two PIs that are respectively hired to follow the the bride and the groom fall in love with each other. They fall in love with each other. Um, I would love I'm that. I'm penning the script now. No one steal it. Uh, I've already done it, so... Don't fucking try. I mean, we brought it up a few times, but Gossip Girl has been mentioned a bunch on this podcast. Maybe Gossip Guys, a podcast idea. (laughs) Gossip Guys. (laughs) (laughs) Is that our new, our spinoff podcast, Gossip Guys? Gossip Guys, where we just, Uh, we go through the entirety of Gossip Girl. (laughs) So I I told Trademark, you can't steal that, by the way. You can't, I trademarked that. you can't steal it. In trying to find out titles for this show, we were looking up a whole bunch of things. One of the... Uh, names that just came across uh, stuff when I was looking up was the name of this podcast called uh, Gilmore Guys, <laughs> where two guys uh, watch all of Gilmore Girls and talk about it, to which I was so furious that I didn't think of, come up with, of, with that first. So Gossip Guys is our podcast. Don't steal it. It's mine. It might already exist. Gossip Guys. Gossip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. So good. XOXO. Gossip Guys. Well, what if, what if this? Okay, spoilers for Gossip Girl, guys. Actual spoilers. If if you if you don't like this, fucking turn off this podcast now. Spoilers for like every movie we've done, by the way, so far. We haven't really said it, but I think it goes without saying. 
at the end of Gossip Girl, the series, it's revealed that Dan Humphrey was Gossip Girl. He was secretly Gossip Girl the whole time, and they have tons of plot excuses for how he was, and it's really dumb. But what if the end of the series, because it always had Kristen Bell talking as Gossip Girl, it instead had Dan Humphrey talking at the very end of it, narrating, and then it said, XOXO, Gossip Guy. <laughs> Gossip Guy. <laughs> Gossip Guy. That's the new series. That's the spinoff. That's the that's the Naruto Shippuden, if you will, of this series is the new Gossip Guy series. Uh, it'd be so good. We can't escape it. Like every single time we're like, OK, uh, Chris, let's stop talking about Gossip Girl. Like we're, we've had our fun. It's been a, a good cu- a couple years, but we're done here. We're done. But no, every time we walk out, we just get drawn back in. Lily Vanderwitchen's showing up. I'm sure at some point uh, Ed Westwick is going to be in one of these fucking movies. It's it's undeniable. Inevitable, even inevitable i can't wait i can't wait uh <laughs> i don't think there's anything else really except that i think the private investigator thing is maybe the biggest deal for this movie is that you never know what they might turn up in fact it, it took a lot to even find out some pretty basic information about this todd guy so I don't you're know. right so as a matter of fact instead of doing it like a week before the wedding we probably need to hire those pis yesterday yesterday and have them follow them around for just months and months and months digging up dirt. Years. I want to. I want a fucking dossier. After they're Dylan. married, continue following them because you never know what could be grounds <laughs> for divorce. I, in fact, I want. I want two PIs on my uh, on my payroll for the rest of their life. I got one of them following me just in case. Just, mm-hmm. just. Um, so heaven forbid, uh, Dylan and Brittany get divorced, and he's just like, oh man, I can't believe this happened. And I was like, hey, Dylan. I got your back. So like, what are you talking about? I've had someone following Brittany for five years. Five years. You can't believe this you're is gonna happening? Get, I, I can't believe it hasn't happened sooner. <laughs> you're going to get the house. You're going to get the dog. You're going to get it all, baby. All right? We got you covered. And then the real bad news is I go to Brittany and I say, Brittany, don't worry. You're going to get everything. I've had a private <laughs> investigator following Dylan for the last five years. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, nothing else really stands out to me. I mean, don't plan. I, this isn't really for for guests, but obviously, don't plan a wedding on Christmas Eve. I think, even despite like it may working out in certain situations and others, I think it's just like a shitty thing to do. Do it on the twenty third or the twenty sixth, whatever. But don't do it on the twenty fourth or twenty fifth. You know what? Even more so, like the holidays are hectic enough. Don't throw a wedding in there. It's 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 gonna add too too much room for hijinks, paranoia, anxiety, depression. Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I think this movie, that's pretty much it to be taken out of there. More Joy Fatone would have been nice. Although maybe leaving me wanting Easily. more was a better thing than Always, too much. I think that was his, that was his play. That was his play. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give these guys just enough. You don't want to fill up on Fatone. You know what I mean? Before the entree comes, don't fill but up on Fatone. I don't want to fill up on Fatone, but I want to want to. You, know uh, I mean? you want to want to fill up. I mean, the Fatone is so good at this restaurant that you want to fill up on it, but don't fill up on Fatone. <laughs> All right, so let's do our final check-in here. Uh, Joshua, are you married? I'm even further from being married at this point. Are you married? No. 